Well, good morning, everyone. We are, if you are just joining us today, this is the fifth installment on a 30,000 foot flyover over the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And today we're hitting really the last three chapters of the last book in the Bible. And uh, we're covering some very important topics all throughout this series. We're just trying to hit some of the major ideas, the major concepts that we have to grasp so that it will, and the reason we're doing that is I want you to have confidence as you read it that even if you don't, there's lots of prophetic imagery, lots of things that are, uh, John uses the guy who wrote this, the apostle John, one of the disciples who wrote this, he was trying to describe things that Jesus had revealed to him through an incredible vision and he was just trying to describe things he had no words for. And that'll happen today as you see some of these things. He will use the word like a lot. It's like this. It's like that. I mean, it's, and these things were fantastic and amazing and they're powerful. But sometimes we get so caught up in the imagery that we forget what he's trying to say. And so today we want to talk about some things that are terribly important to our Christian faith as we talk about judgment day and heaven and hell. And these things are sobering topics. But there's also good news. And the good news is, is that Jesus Christ loves us. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that everyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. And if that's good news to you, would you say amen? amen. You're going to see it today uh, really clearly in the last three chapters of the last book of the Bible. And so there's some sobering stuff here, but this is very encouraging. And I, wanna, I want you to pray with me about this. I don't know if I've ever, ever... Uh, I've been soaking in this all week, and these, this is really a topic that, I mean, it's, it's so profound because it boils it down very clearly here at the, at the end of the Bible, how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus, and how much we need him, and how good he is, and how much he loves us. And so, I don't know if I've ever felt more inadequate to tell you that. I mean, when John was struggling with words to say that, if, if I've never felt more inadequate to tell you how overwhelmed I've been with how good God is to us and how much he must love us to, to protect us and send his own son to die for us. You'll see that as we go through. I hope you will. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I just thank you for the good news of Jesus. I thank you that even as we read of Judgment Day and uh, eternity, Lord, that we can celebrate the fact that we have nothing to fear because you have... You've died on the cross for all who come to you. And we gathered here this morning and praised your name, and we didn't even scratch the surface of praising your name. We could praise you forever because you're so good and you're so kind and you're so loving. And so, God, I just pray that you'd remind us of all these things, even as we read some very sobering uh, details at the end of the book of Revelation. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and teach us some things we need to know today. In the wonderful name of Christ our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. Point A on your outline, and for those of you who are joining us online, you know, please go to centeringlives.com. You can download an outline there. About 60 years after he ascended into heaven, Jesus pulled back the curtain on himself, on heaven, and the end times for his disciple John. Of the 12 disciples, John was one of them. John lived longer than all the other disciples. Uh, he was the only one who was not martyred uh, for his faith. But at the time this vision came to him, the time that he had this revelation from God, he was on a prison island. I mean, think Alcatraz, and you'd be pretty close. 
and he was there because he refused to worship the Roman emperor as God. He said, no, Jesus is Lord and no one else. And because of that, he was exiled to this island. And while he was there, God gave him a revelation. And the reason we call this series Pulling Back the Curtain, that's what the word in the original language, apocalypsis, means. It means to pull back the curtain, to reveal something, something we never would have seen on our own, something we never would have guessed. And so this is what I just want to remind us again, this is how the book of Revelation starts. So we'll read from Revelation 1. And then we'll go to the end of the book today where we're jumping in again. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. You will see that throughout our reading today, over and over throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John, I mean, through an angel, just he's reminded today several times, these things are coming soon. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy of the church. He blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. And it's always important for us to remember this, that uh, when God gives us instruction, he expects us to listen to it. Not just hear it and go, well, that's interesting, and then forget about it. Uh, This is something for us to obey. And you'll see a number of things today that we can really apply to our lives. So the three things we want to talk about today is Jesus pulled back the curtain on the millennium. Now, before we get into that, I just want to remind you where we've been the last number of weeks. We've talked about a period that comes at the end of the world where, and again, we, if you Go back online. I've talked to people this week. They say, I missed your last um, message. And I have a question about that. I go, go watch the last message and then we'll talk. Uh, because there's just a lot of information that we're trying to unpack here. But there's a seven-year period called the tribulation or the great tribulation at the end of history. Um, there is a time when there is the rapture of the church. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. And if you have questions about that, you, know, you can please email me on those things. And there's a time, there's a a world leader, the Antichrist, who comes to power during these seven years. And we've talked about this. There are also a series of God's judgments that are poured out on the earth. Millions and millions of people come to Christ during this time. um, But they do so during a time of great uh, sorrow, great pain, great trouble. That's what tribulation means. And there is a false leader, a a counterfeit Christ who's in charge of the world. He wants the whole world to worship him. And he gathers all of the armies of the world at the end of this seven-year period. This is the battle of Armageddon right here. I'm just going to put an A in there. And when that happens, uh, he does so to rebel, to destroy uh, Israel. And Jesus comes back through the sky. We talked about this last week. This is the second coming. And Jesus comes back with the armies of heaven and the battle is over just like this because um, they are warring against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And today we're going to be talking about, well, what happens next? Last week we heard that the Antichrist and he had a prophet who assisted him, a false prophet, were both bound and thrown into the lake of fire. They were pitched headfirst into hell. They were demon, they were possessed by the devil himself. They were wicked men, and they will be destroyed and punished there forever. And we all went, yeah. 
And you think, well, good, then he will have taken the devil and pitched him into hell too. But what we find is, as the story goes on, there's one more, there's another uh, detail here that's terribly important. And this is revealed to John in Exodus chapter 20. So I'm going to jump right in. This is called the millennium. And by the way, that's a thousand years. The word millennium just means a thousand years. So now you know some Latin. Got that for free. Anyway, uh, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. This is Revelation 20 verse 1. With a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan. So in case you're wondering, John's saying, I want to make clear who he's talking about here. Uh, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. This angel threw him into the bottomless pit which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until a thousand years were finished. This is a holding cell for him until a thousand years are finished. You go, goodness gracious, what's going on with this? Hmm. Afterward, he must be released for a little while and you should be marking your Bible. Why? Okay, we'll get to that. I would like him to stay right there. Afterward, he'll be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And so John saw a kingdom being set up here on earth where Satan would be bound for a thousand years and their thrones set up on, on earth, a new government set up on earth. And something amazing was going to happen. So keep listening. And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue or accepted his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And we talked about this last time. This antichrist will demand everybody worships him as God. And that false prophet will demand everybody gets a, a mark on their right hand or on their forehead to prove their loyalty. And if you didn't get that, then you were, many people were beheaded Others were arrested, beaten, had to, you couldn't buy or sell. They had to run for their lives. Hmm. These were people who had not worshipped the beast or a statue. They had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until a thousand years has ended. Just hang on to that. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, for them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and, the Christ and, and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He'll go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth, and he'll gather them together for battle and a mighty army as numberless as the sand on the seashore. And I saw them as they went up to the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city but fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and surrounded and consumed them. And then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the devil finally is, we are rid of him forever. And we'll celebrate that a little bit more in a minute. But I want to explain a couple of things here. Jesus will come back. When he comes back at the second coming, it's more than just to win the battle of Armageddon. 
It's more than that. He comes to set up a kingdom on earth where Christ will reign. I'm just going to put, will be king. Christ will be king on earth for a thousand years. Satan will be locked up in this abyss. And what's really interesting is, not only will Christ be reigning for a thousand years, we will reign with him. I don't know, I want to I'll bring some passages to mind here for you. Matthew 6, 9, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will there ever be a day when his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven? It'll be run like, earth will be run like it is in heaven. The answer is yes, it will come, and it will come for a thousand years. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? I'll give you some better news. All of those, all of us who have been taken up to be with the Lord, who've died in the Lord earlier, who've been taken up through the rapture, all of us, when we come, we will come back with the Lord and we will reign with him on the earth at various levels of government, mayors, city council, teachers, organizers. I don't know. There's not, these are only clues, but they are, it says here, and I want to give you a couple of, I'll give you another reference here, but second Timothy two eleven and 12 says this, this is a trustworthy saying. Paul says this, if we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. Reign. Lead. Positions of leadership. In the margin there, you can write 1 Corinthians 6, 2. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian people about lawsuits and, and suing each other, he said, why do you go to the civil authorities to settle a dispute between two Christians? Don't you have wise enough people in the church? 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Don't you know that saints, Christians, the Lord's people, will judge the world? When? Here, for a thousand years. God has positions of leadership for us. You go, well, who will we be leading? Well, apparently, as we, as we read in here, there are people that populate the earth again after these horrible judgments, after the reign of the Antichrist. Not everyone died during the tribulation. There were people that hid. There were people that had been in prison. They had not accepted the mark of the beast. They had not rebelled against the Lord. And they will come into this kingdom. And when they come into that kingdom, life will be different. Because Jesus himself will be ruling on earth. And we have a few clues from the Old Testament. If we go on here, the millennium will be an unparalleled time of righteousness, health, and peace on earth. There are certain passages and prophecies in the Old Testament that just have never been fulfilled. And they only make sense if they're happening here. If you go through the connect group questions, you'll see a number of references you can look up. They, they're talking about this period. Isaiah 65, 20. I'll just give you a couple of verses from, that, from Isaiah 65. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will people be considered old at 100. For my people will live as long as trees. I mean, you know, if you've ever stood next to a, a beautiful live oak or something that was planted in 1700 by somebody or something like this and it's 40 feet around you go my goodness that tree's been alive for 300 400 years well, apparently during this time people will live that long it'd be like it was before the flood when people lived you know you read about methuselah or adam and they lived 900 plus years 
Jesus himself will be on the throne, and so the Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. I mean, this, I'm, this is straight out of Scripture. This is Isaiah 2.4. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. No longer will, nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. There'll be no threat of war for a thousand years. And Isaiah 11:9 reminds us the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus will be reigning on earth as king. And righteous people with our new heavenly bodies will be reigning here on earth for a thousand years. And so the people who live here could interact with people. They could be trained in righteousness and understand things. These, and those, so these people who survive the tribulation will live here. They will have kids and they will have kids and they will have kids. And if you live for hundreds and hundreds of years, the world can repopulate during that time. And this will be a time I didn't even get to all the other prophecies that are in those. You could read in those chapters and some others where the desert will bloom, where there will be uh, peace and tranquility. And uh, it will be an amazing time where uh, people just prosper at unparalleled levels. But what's, what's even shocking, even more shocking about all this than the things we've talked about so far is that millions will turn away from Jesus at the end of this time to follow Satan. And it just proves how deliberate and determined our sin nature can be in seeking independence from God. I mean, that's what sin is. Sin is more than just a bad habit or a, a sinful activity. It's that deliberate, determined desire to be independent of God. And so what you have is you have people who have grown up in this period where Satan has not been a part of the world. Can you imagine if there was no devil tempting people to do evil? They will have grown up in this period where Jesus is there. The government is right. There's no corruption in government. I didn't get a hallelujah out of that. I mean, I, that's unbelievable. There's no corruption. I mean, things are just and fair. And people born during that time will have an absolutely perfect government. There's even, it says that the, a wolf will lie down with a sheep and not eat it, okay? The children could go play with a nest full of vipers like cobras. Hey, get off your uh, iPad. Go out and play with the cobra. <laughs> I mean, how could this happen? Well, if, what if everything changed? And what if Jesus was on the throne? And for a thousand years, everything is like this, and then the devil must be released. Well, why? I mean, why wouldn't Jesus just end it? Why does he let these people have children and their children have children? Why does he set up a perfect kingdom where they can interact with those of us who have died and come back or have been raptured and come back with him and we can explain to them how good he is and we can explain the Bible to them and we can explain how important it is. Why must Satan be released? Because for you and me and for every single person, there has to, God wants us to come to him willingly. I mean, he wants a love relationship with you and me. Not a, well, I didn't have any choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. I mean, I want that in all of the relationships we have, this is what we value the most. It's the only way that love matters. I mean, I just can't imagine if on our wedding day, the minister would have said, Debbie, do you want to marry John? It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, he's the only one left. 
feel the love. I mean, there's no love then. Love means, when we put the rings on, we said, forsaking all others, I choose you. I mean, Debbie's beautiful and talented. She could have had a lot of other guys. She chose me, and I am not letting her out of it. I chose her. And so the devil has to be released. And shockingly, after a thousand years, no war, no corruption, living longer than we ever have, justice is correct, everything is done rightly, fairly, perfectly, and people will still choose. And why is this important? Because we're about to go to the next step, and there will be a judgment day. And this is the great white throne judgment. We'll get to that in a second. And when Jesus judges, he judges fairly. And he knows all who come to him. I mean, please understand this. People could say, well, yeah, John, I know Adam and Eve were in the garden and the devil tempted them and they got kicked out. And I know, you know, that, the, that you know, people turned wicked after the flood. He started all over again. I mean, turned wicked before the flood. And he started all over with Noah. And then, you know, but people forgot. It wasn't clear to them. And yeah, you did send prophets and you did send all kinds of miraculous things to show you working through the people of Israel. And you did send all those things. And you did send your son to explain this out loud. But, you know, if you ever came back then, and people saw you, then they'd believe, well, okay. But, but, I mean, even more than just seeing you, if you came and set up a kingdom for a thousand years and you locked up the devil so you couldn't confuse or trick them, well, then you'd prove once and for all that people's hearts are basically good. I mean, this is a... This is a thought that is common in our culture today that people's hearts are basically good and if we just get a little more education if we just get a little more understanding then we'll always do what's right and you know what the bible says this is in your outline here in jeremiah 17 9 the human heart is most deceitful of all things it's desperately wicked who knows it really knows how bad it is do you know who knows how bad it is jesus because he died on the cross for our sins he knows that we can never replace that sin, that wicked sin nature in our heart on our own. He doesn't want us just to manage sin and be a little better. He came to give us a brand new life so we could be born again, transformed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And after a thousand years, the devil tempts these people one more time shockingly of not everyone on the earth, but millions apparently as numberless as the sand on the seashore, they come and there is, and fire falls from heaven and it is the end. Then judgment will come. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so people could come freely. All the wrath was poured out on the world. He sent powerful testimonies through two witnesses and 144,000 uh, people from the 12 tribes of Israel who will be activated by the Holy Spirit. And millions upon millions of people will come to Christ during this period. But during this time, many will not. They'll take the mark of the Antichrist and they'll rebel and they'll shake their fist at God no matter what's happening. And even after that, those who survive and live, they will be blessed beyond measure. Their children will be blessed beyond measure. And even then, they will turn against the Lord. 
Then the end will come. And what you see is God going to the nth degree of the nth degree of the nth degree. I love you. I want you to come to me. Repent of your sins. Stop fighting me. Stop going your own way. I created you for a relationship with me. You're ruining your life. Come to me. This is the heart of our Father. Point C, then judgment day comes when people will no longer come. Everything has been tried. Everything. 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 And I saw a great white throne. Circle the word white there. It means purity. It means perfection. This will not be a corrupt judge. This is Jesus. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled away from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both the great and the small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. Oh, my goodness. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If you're wondering what books, you could write in the margin there, John 12, 48. Jesus said this, he said, but all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment for the truth that I have spoken. One of the books will be the Bible. We will be without excuse. The people during this period will have the Bible. The people during this period will have the Bible. They will have it explained to them better than ever before. These people will see the prophecies fleshed out. And one of the books that will be opened will be the Bible. You wouldn't believe I told you, I warned you, I begged you to come. Another book is Psalm 139, 16. You saw every day before I was born. It was recorded in your book. And the Lord knows what we've done. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus will be the judge on the great white throne. This is back to John 5. Jesus said, the father judges no one. Instead, he's given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. How do we know that they get it right, that people who came to Jesus, because Jesus himself will be the judge. Remember, he warned people who were religious people who opposed him. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he will say, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things. And they'll say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. And Jesus will be the judge. It's important to notice that. It's also important to notice in the second point here that all who have placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord will never be condemned because they've already had their names written in the book of life. You and I don't need to fear judgment day. Why? Because Jesus already took our punishment. 
I mean, the people who are thrown into the lake of fire are the people who will not come. But for those who've come, we don't fear the wrath of God. In fact, we've been reigning and ruling with God on earth for a thousand years. We're not worried about this. Why are we not worried about this? Because Jesus, when he hung on the cross, all the wrath of God that was due me and due you was poured out on him. And he said, John, you are a sinner and you deserve this punishment that's reserved for the devil and his angels. But I will take the punishment on your behalf. Oh my goodness. And all who come to him are freed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Could we read those words that are highlighted there together please? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Can we read that again? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Because he took the punishment. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus said that. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus also said these words. He said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? The payment on the cross in the margin there next to it is finished. You can write paid in full. That's what it means. It is finished. The payment is finished. I paid for the sins of the world so that whoever comes to me will not perish but have everlasting life. Can, you get, can I get an hallelujah out of that? You and I are not worried about this at all if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Because when the books are opened and all the evil things that people have done would be held against them, well, those have all been paid for by, for by Christ. They're all forgiven and forgotten. God remembers them no more. And that's why Jesus said it's finished. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Could we read that whole sentence together, please? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what the Bible teaches. And it's why we talk about Christ. And it's why Christ gave this revelation to John so that we can come. Here's a third observation. Hell is real. This is Jesus talking about judgment at the end of the world. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they replied, Lord, then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these brothers of my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And that's the last part on the chart here. Heaven or hell? This is Jesus. This wasn't a parable. 
Matthew 25. The lake of fire was a place prepared for the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan himself. Satan isn't prince of that. He's punished there. And we've been given a warning. We don't need to go there. None of us do. This is why Jesus has come. So there's a life application for you and I. We need to repent. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance means this. It means make a U-turn. Turn around. If sin is a deliberate and determined desire to be independent of God, then trust in the Lord is a deliberate and determined desire to follow him. I'm coming to you, Lord. I've made a mess of my life. Many, many, many millions of people will realize this when all these prophecies are being fulfilled. Many people will realize this during this time, but not everyone. We're living here. Now, I need one of those mall things. You are here, okay? We're here. This hasn't happened yet. And for you and I, this is our time to repent today. Now that we know this is happening, all these things are done to make clear what God has been doing all along through human history. And he desires everyone to come to repentance. Now, real quickly, Jesus also pulled back the curtain on heaven. And we will spend another whole message on heaven because I don't have time today to cover all this, but I want to hit a few things. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Could we say that together, please? God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne told John, he said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it's finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All those who are victorious will inherit these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my children. I mean, this is God's desire for us to be a family. When we come to Christ, we're adopted into his family. And he's, Jesus said it's finished at the cross where he paid the penalty for sins. Now the whole thing is finished. And we all come home to live with him forever. Heaven is a place, and that's point one on your outline here. Heaven will be a place where we'll always be together with Jesus always. This is Jesus' desire. He said in John 14, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you I'm going to go prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And Jesus said, my desire is that you'll always be with me where I am. And then there's some details in Revelation 21 about that new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. I just want to point out one terribly fascinating fact to me that this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven 
It's 12,000 stadia wide, 12,000 stadia long, and 12,000 stadia high. It's a giant cube. The new Jerusalem for eternity will be a, is pictured as a giant cube. And you go, well, why would that be? Well, in the Old Testament temple, there was a place called the most holy place. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, inside this room. It was a perfect cube. Solomon covered it with gold, placed the Ark in the middle of it. The Ten Commandments were inside of it. There were angels on the lid of the chest. And when you, the high priest went in once a year, that's where he would pray for the people. He was focused there because God's presence was in the middle of the cube. When Jesus died and said, and there was a curtain that separated this cube from the rest of the temple. When Jesus died and said it's finished, paid in full, the curtain was torn so that, and it showed everyone now, everyone, because of what Jesus did, you could walk right into the presence of God in the most holy place. Before he died, we just read here in John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You'll always be with me where I am. (laughs) The capital city of Jerusalem is shaped like the Holy of Holies. God's presence is in the middle of the Holy of Holies. This one is 12,000 stadia in three dimensions. That's 14,000 miles in three dimensions. That's the size of the moon, roughly. The moon. And so Jesus says, in heaven, the Holy of Holies will be so big that everyone who comes to me, we can all be in there together forever. So you will always be with me where I am. It's finished. No more separation. I love you. I've always wanted a relationship with you. Will you please come to me? I have the best plan for your life. I will guide you, I'll protect you, I will feed you, I will show you. If you trust me, your life will be abundant and fruitful. Come to me, stop running away, stop fighting me. Mm. Heaven will be a place where there's no more curse. All the things in this world of pain and sorrow and dying, we read that. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the lamb will be there. His servants will worship him. They'll see his face. His name will be written on their foreheads. No more night there. It's not even going to get dark or scary. The Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. And point three reminds us it's the garden of Eden that flowing from the throne of heaven is a river of life with a tree of life on both sides. God is the source of life itself. It's the Garden of Eden restored, where Adam and Eve walked and talked with God every day. This is God's heart. Two life applications very quickly. Everyone needs Jesus. Heaven's big enough for everyone to come in. And this is just the capital city. This isn't all of heaven. That's just the capital city. Billions of people could fit in there. Billions and billions. With room to spare. Everyone needs Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears us say, come. Let anyone who's thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, come. 
This is what Jesus told the woman at the well who'd lived a sinful and horrible life. He said, if you knew who I was, you'd be begging me for a drink because I'll give you the river of, I'll give you the water, the living water that leads to everlasting life. Come. And she came. She brought the whole village with her too. She said, come, I met a man. He must be the Messiah. Told me everything I did and he loves me anyway. Come see. Come. And God's desire would be that we would tell the whole world, come. Yes, history is going to end in a certain way here. But we can come today and then we won't have to worry about this. We don't have to worry about judgment. We can reign with Christ and we have heaven in front of us. Come. Why would I want to live in this world without his direction anyway? And the last life application is that Jesus is coming soon. He who testifies to these things says, I'm coming quickly. This is the end of the Bible here. I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You could also put suddenly below that. Quickly, suddenly, soon. And by the way, even if Jesus doesn't come today, the truth is, whether I go through all this or whether I die today and stand before him, that can come suddenly too. And so today is a day of decision. And that's why we're told these things. So we can be right with God and understand the Father's heart. Will you come to him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for those of us who've been believers for a long time, Lord, these words are sobering because they remind us, Lord, of how much we need to be praying for our world around us. They're encouraging, Lord, because they remind us that you're on the throne and everything is proceeding according to your plan and we don't need to be afraid. They excite us, Lord, because of the wonderful promises that are in store for us in the future of reigning with you, of living forever with you in your presence so we can always be with you where you are. But Lord, there are people all around us every day right now they have not come. They're deliberate and determined to live their own lives their own way. And Father, we ask that you would bring them to you. Some of them are our children. Some of them are our parents. Some of them are our cousins or our coworkers or our friends. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring them to Christ. They need new life through Christ. Father, that you'd open their eyes, that you'd remind us to pray for them every day and not give up. Your heart is that everyone would come to you. So, Lord, remind us to pray, oh, to pray, and give us the words to say if we have a chance to tell people about your love. Show us ways we can serve them and help them and encourage them, and then give us the words to say to tell them the good news about Jesus at the right time. Bring them to repentance, Lord, just the same way you brought us. And if you're here today and you have not come to Jesus Christ, you have not surrendered your life to Christ, today is the day when he has made it very clear to you what is coming. Come to Jesus today. He'll give you a new life, better than you ever dreamed. He'll give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Come to him today. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, if that is your desire today, pray with me now. Lord, I come to you today. I've made a mess of my life. I know it. I'm sorry, Lord. I don't want to run my life in the ground anymore. I want to come to you. No lip service, no games. God, I want abundant life. 
I want to be with you in heaven forever. I want to be with you every day now. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you, Lord, for sending Christ to pay the penalty on the cross. Lord, make me new. I surrender my life to you today. Oh, Lord, convince us of these things. Thank you for showing us what is to come. Thank you for availing, making available your spirit and your presence today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.